and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is also the show that thinks there's way too much football on TV but is still furious there was no game on Monday night. I, I had to do a family quiz. I'm Kevin Day and he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, a man whose family has been quizzed many times. <laughs> mainly, mainly under caution, I think it's fair to say, Kieran, isn't it? Harsh <laughs> uh, but fair, harsh but fair, Kevin. Now, Kieran, it, it, it might not be a long pod today because for once, hurrah, there's no there's no major bad news. Plus, you and I have contrasting things to do afterwards. You're you're off on a virtual trip to Barcelona, and I'm off for a, a meeting with Razor Ruddock, which is also virtual. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the pubs opening. To be perfectly honest. So, what are you up to in, on your virtual trip to Barcelona? It sounds exciting. Uh, I've, I've been asked to talk to a number of people who are presently studying Barcelona Football Club's financial results to try to get an understanding as to the financial issues surrounding the club. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's highly unlikely that the club will go out of business, but even so, there's uh, there's quite a few eyebrow-raising numbers uh, in uh, in their finances, and uh, they're going to have a challenging year. Uh, even under the new president, he's 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 not going to find it a walk in the park. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Um, and funny enough, our first news story will take us eventually to UEFA, but via FIFA, who've published their latest accounts. Any backhanders in for you in there, Kieran, for keeping quiet? Uh, well, uh, only cash ones, Kevin. <laughs> you know, that's that's the that's the nature of the beast. Um, <laughs> It's it's been a really tough year for FIFA. They lost seven hundred and seventy eight million dollars, which is uh, uh, as as big numbers go. That's 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 big with a capital F, and um, that that's uh, it's it is linked to COVID uh, in the sense that they couldn't really run any tournaments during twenty twenty. Mm. So revenue was down by by two thirds. It's also the fact that if you do take a look at FIFA's accounts which funnily enough I do, um, three years out of every four, they tend to lose money because... Uh, of course, yeah. yeah with, with due respect, nobody's interested in the under-17 World Cup. The, the Club World Cup isn't really hitting the mark. The Confederations Cup, which takes place the year before the World Cup, uh, is it, it, it gets some interest, but, but not much. Um, so FIFA has always been very... Uh, very dependent upon a successful World Cup competition. And it is normally a successful World Cup competition for, for FIFA, um, not, not, uh, not, not uh, partly due to um, the, the, the relationship that FIFA will have with the host nation mm. in that it always insists on being classified as a charity and uh, doesn't pay any tax um, on, on the back of that. Mm. So um, we, we've seen... Uh, FIFA's uh, you know, money coming in down by two thirds, and then it's given out two hundred and seventy million pounds in COVID support. So that's that, that's one million per individual member of FIFA, and, and there's two hundred and eleven uh, members. Um, uh, there's been two million pounds for each confederation, such as UEFA and uh, Concabel and things of that nature, CAF and, and, and so on. Um, and then the women's game has been given seventy-two million pounds as well to to ensure that it's uh, it, it continues its development. Recently, um, I, I then took a look at some of the some of the costs, the wage bill um, for FIFA, and uh, 
this uh, I think uh, producer guy even might be considering uh, you know sending in his CV. Uh, one hundred ninety nine million dollars for just over a thousand staff. So that works out as an average salary, and remember that includes you know everybody from the people that uh, uh, are. Are dealing with sort of the admin work to upwards. The average salary worked out as one hundred and eighty-eight thousand dollars. Wow! Um, with uh, with our good friend uh, Jenny Infantino uh, at the top of the pile with just over three million, um, which included bonuses. Um, I'm not quite sure what the bonuses were for um, because uh, to give people you know, to give somebody such a large bonus on the back of losing seven hundred and seventy-eight million pounds does seem uh, slightly at odds. Well, it's a sort of organisation that gives you a bonus for not bankrupting it, Kieran, isn't it? Essentially, but just, so. just 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 for new listeners, Kieran, whose eyebrows may not have yet have had the same exercise as mine had over the year. That the business about FIFA uh, being registered as a charity when it comes to the World Cup. Just explain that because I still can't get my head around that concept. Well, um, as part of the uh, when, when individual countries are proposing to host the world cup mm. they uh, they will be assessed by fifa and and they have to go through a, a series of controls and, and regulations um one of which isn't officially linked to the the proposal to host the competition but fifa will normally be involved in some form of discussions with the with the national government um where where the where the uh, finals are being hosted and during the course of conversations, it tends to come up that you know, we're a we're a wonderful organisation, FIFA. We are, you know, we look after the game on a global basis. Um, we don't see ourselves as a commercial organisation, more as a charitable organisation. Mm. And on that basis, uh, we, we're going to make a lot of money out of the World Cup, and we'd rather not pay any tax on that. Um, and and you know, what just out of interest, what is your reaction to that? Uh, remember, we've not yet made the decision as to where the World Cup's being hosted. Um, so that's not yeah, nothing illegal. Um, it's only a suggestion from FIFA, but it's a suggestion which seems to you know, go down in favour with, uh, with with practically every country that uh, that decides to apply for the competition. Yeah, well, Kieran, as we're talking about charity, let's be charitable and suggest that you know perhaps Russia and Qatar would have been only too pleased to donate billions of money to charity through FIFA under any circumstances, um, <laughs> which leads us nicely on to another piece of FIFA-related news because. The, the, they've taken their eye off the financial ball to keep the set bladder plate spinning, haven't they, for another another few years? Yes, um, I think Set Blatter is presently eighty five. His uh, his ban from football was due to expire, I think, sometime this year, um, but it's now been extended to twenty twenty eight. And the reason for this is due to um, FIFA's sort of own investigatory arm. Um, feeling that Mr. Blatter had what's regarded as undue economic benefit of around about £18 million. Wow. Um, and there are a couple of other people uh, involved here um, whose, uh, who, whose main role appeared to be trying to keep this unusual benefit to Mr. Blatter off the books, uh. is the way that it's described. Um, and uh, I'm sure there will be uh, many people, uh, certainly from my family, um, who will be sort of nodding, nodding, saying, well, what's, what's the problem there? Uh, and and this, uh, this money was on top of his salary. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've also had issues to do with Michelle Platini and things of this nature. And on top of the uh, ban from football, he's been fined 
£780,000. I think that's to cover legal costs, but also for the the nature of uh, what he's been accused of doing. Doesn't reflect... uh, well, on, on Mr. Blatter, who's clearly you know, as a as, as a known progressive, you know the the man that suggested that in, in order for women's football to become more popular, yeah, they should yeah. wear shorter shorts. So yeah, yeah. You know, it's good to see that uh, the 1970s is still alive in, uh, in in football mentality in some. Yeah, it, it's also hard to believe that nobody knew this. Seth Blatter was doing this, and it's just. You, the more you hear about FIFA, the more you think they need to just close it down and start again, don't they? But because every time somebody goes in there to try and sort it out, they just become part of the system, which brings us nicely to UEFA. Now, if this news has not quite been uh, ratified, I don't think, Kieran, but rumours coming out that UEFA are planning to relax FFP rules in the coming season, which is something you predicted a while back. Um, yeah, this is intriguing. This this has been. Uh published by an, an Italian journalist who's, uh, you know, again, one of those people who tends to have his finger on the pulse. Mm. Um, and, and this came out, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and this story came out a few hours ago. Mm. Um, at present, there is, there's effectively a battle between those clubs that do want quite strict financial controls because that will reinforce the existing gaps between rich and poor. Um, and therefore it will create a glass ceiling, which will make it more difficult for clubs to do another Manchester City or PSG or Chelsea, i.e. come from a position of not being regular uh, trophy winners in in terms of the domestic league, in in terms of qualification for the Champions League, to to where we are now, where Manchester City have have not missed the Champions League for ages. and against that, there are those clubs who feel that if they've got owners who want to put lots of money into the club to make it more competitive, then they should be allowed to do so. Um, and, I'm a, and I'm a little bit surprised that uh, this this appears to be coming uh, in favour of of those clubs that that do want uh, uh, to to be have given the opportunity to invest more uh, in terms of. Uh, you know, at present, under UEFA rules, you can only put in €25 million Euro over a three-year period into the club, which counts towards FFP. If you put in €100 million, only the first €25 million would count. Um, so, so this does appear to uh, open up opportunities. So you know, we have seen Aston Villa's owners. They're quite keen to invest lots, uh, certainly with Farhad Mashiri at Everton. If the Newcastle deal goes through in due course, we could see more money coming in from PIF and, and things of this nature. But not not only clearly in England in the Premier League, but also uh, in in other divisions as well. So um, yeah, the, the the final decision, the small print as always, will be the intriguing thing for, for many people, um, and just how much these people will be able to invest at, to to make. Uh, the the Champions League and other competitions perhaps more competitive than they are at present in terms of those clubs that qualify for the knockout rounds uh, awaits to be seen. Mm. Uh, Kieran, I don't often get to say this, but here's some genuine good news. And it's happened without Sepp Blatter's advice being taken. The the Women's Super League has signed a multi-million pound broadcast deal with Sky and BBC. 
Yes, and, and this deal um, is going to make uh, the, the WSL, it's going to be the most lucrative um, in the world. It looks as if, um, along with sort of the broadcasting fees and other financial support, it's going to be around about £8 million pounds, uh, per annum for the next three years. I think initially the BBC and Sky were trying to get a slightly longer deal, but such is the confidence of the Football Association and the people involved with the WSL that they feel that uh, if, if this is a success, then then in three years they'll be able to renegotiate at an even higher fee. So it, it, it's uh, I, I think it's great news. I mean, WSL clubs are all losing money here. Yeah, that, that has yeah. to be said at present, and therefore they've been reliant upon funding from the the clubs to which they're associated. Um, In theory, by having uh, an independent TV deal and more money coming in, and it works out, it's it's, uh, 75% going to WSL clubs and and 25% to the the championship. Um, It works out as around about half a million pounds per year per club. Now, to give you some form of benchmarking, there are a, a number of clubs in the WSL, whose total revenue for the whole year um, is is as little as two hundred thousand yeah, pounds a year. Yeah. So this will make a significant difference. Yeah. It will certainly allow w, more WSL clubs to recruit players from overseas um, in terms of you know, bringing some of the more high profile players into into you know, into WSL, which again is going to become a you know, virtuous circle that that in, increases interest. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it, I think it's very exciting news, and uh, also for those clubs that want to be independent of a men's team. So yeah, we were aware of yeah. Durham and Lewis and clubs like of that nature. They they financially are quite challenged if they're not connected to a Premier League football club. Um, by having this additional money coming in, it's got to um, enhance sort of the, the the sporting balance of the sport. Because that's one thing we need to stress. This is a completely separate deal to the men's game, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah, it, it's been it's been negotiated independently. Um, you, you've got to give credit to to the negotiators, um, and I think it also reflects the fact that uh, the, the the present way that we're consuming the sport, which is yeah, you can use the red button on the BBC. You do see highlights on the um, on on the BBC Sports uh, website. Which which is which is great, and you see the quality of the game's pretty good, um, and uh, you know, also nobody is being forced to watch it. Mm. So you know, for those for those blokes who are saying, "Oh, well, yeah, we're going to get women's football rammed down our throat," no, it's not. Yeah, you know, that's complete nonsense. I don't like some sports, so this is what I do. I don't watch them. Yeah. I'm not. I don't find Mrs. Brown's boys funny, so therefore I don't watch it. But I don't complain about if other people enjoy. It these things of this nature you know, by all means go and go and consume it so um you know for for, for heaven's sake uh, chaps just grow up mm. do you know what my dad loves women's football because he says it reminds him of football in the in the 60s or 70s which was a more passing related game and I, and I try and remind him that most of the football in the 60s and 70s involved several broken legs and a brawl but, <laughs> yes. he, but he, I, I, it, I, anecdotally I think that dinosaur attitude you're talking about is disappearing Kieran and, and for the for the benefit of the court I'm holding up a piece of paper now which is my script on which I'd written the words virtuous circle before which oh, is, is a worrying sign that you and I are been doing this far too <laughs> but, but, it, but it is I mean both for the broadcasters and the women's game 
it can only be a good thing because the broadcasters are getting a growing product and the, the, the women's game is growing because of the broadcasters. So more people will be, will be attending women's games in the next two years because they've seen it on telly, you know, youngsters in particular. And, and if more people go into the games, the broadcasters are getting a, a better product and more exciting. So it's, it, it can only be a good thing that half the population are finally being recognised yeah. in the world of football. Yeah. Now, Kieran, I was going to put this story last, you know, that on a on a kind of you know on a lighter note, because I assumed the bloke was being funny, but no. On on research, it turns out that the accountant who has been running Wigan Athletic this season seriously thinks they should build a statue of him outside the ground, which is a precedent I don't think any of us want to see, Kieran. <laughs> the occasional pigeon and seagull, and they like to see an accountant. <laughs> he, he's seriously, he, he's not even tongue-in-cheek. No, he, he thinks there should be a, a, a statue of him outside the ground at Wigan. Yeah, this is this is a guy called Paul Stanley. Now, this isn't the lead singer of Kiss, by the way. It's... Uh, it's a chartered accountant. I mean, he might, he might, he might be singing. He might write the odd occasional song in his in his spare time, for all I know. But uh, um, and his background is he is originally from a firm of accountants called Arthur Anderson, who people might remember from being uh, associated and doing the audit of Enron, which was the world's second biggest uh, uh, fraud uh, at the time, and another company called WorldCom, uh, which also was a spectacular. Uh, global accounting fraud. So um, he's, he's, got, he's got a background from a firm of accountants who uh, who are no longer in existence because of uh, these things. He had nothing to do with these, I, I would hasten to add. Um, and all I would say is that um, as somebody that used to play in the Manchester Accountants Sunday Football League, <laughs> Arthur Andersons were hated. They were absolutely loathed. They were such a bunch of arrogant <laughs> sods uh, playing any sport. I, um, do you know, Kieran? One of the one of the very many, many reasons I love you is because you will say things with a completely straight face along the lines of, "Of course, you will all remember that Arthur Anderson was the company that audited Enron." <laughs> I'm literally scrabbling for a pair of Google, of course. Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm pleased to hear there's an accountant Sunday League. That must have oh, been, yes. that must have yes. been a parallel. <laughs> the, the referee that must be the only league that referees look forward to refereeing. I would have thought there, there, there were there were never yellow or red cards. We were all far too polite, except when it come came to to playing Anderson. Now I I, I don't want to say too much, but a, a company I subsequently went and worked for, um, we were involved uh, assisting the recruitment of people. For Arthur Andersons, and and they were they were the, the company was always uh, interested in certain characteristics of which modesty was never one of them. Uh-huh. Okay. So we then moved to this. Um, uh, some some very strange comments have come out from Mister Stanley. First of all, he suggested building a statue, and it wasn't. It's not clear. I mean, if if it's a joke, it's a strange one to make. Um, he's also complained about the fans saying, um, I don't like the fact that I'm getting scrutiny from people who actually aren't that educated. Okay, oh, this, well, is how to, really? this is how to uh, win friends and uh, influence people. He's complained that he's not had a holiday since last July. Well, I tell you what, Beck Bees have earned £2.2 <laughs> £2. <laughs> £2. million during that period of time. Yeah, yeah. I suspect he, he, won't be going to, he won't be going to Pontins this uh, summer or whenever he does go on holiday. Um, and, and people have lost their jobs at Wigan. Now that's that's sad to, to then sort of you know be, be bitching about. Oh yeah, I'm not. Um, 
He then said, we can afford to be quite smug about the strategy for the club. Well, smugness is certainly something which uh, he appears to be specialising at. He said that his £660 per hour is half of what's being charged in London. Mm. Uh, Well, I've looked at some jobs and I've not seen too many at £1,300 an hour. So I I don't know where he gets uh, his, his views from. Uh, He doesn't seem to like other people connected to the game. He describes agents as greedy, greedy, unregulated barrow boys. Um, And um, I just laugh at spotty teenagers playing football manager in their bedrooms. Wow. So Mm. he's he's seemingly gone out out on the offensive. Um, And the irony, of course, is that uh, one of the people to whom Wigan Athletic have been sold is one of the people that runs Football Manager. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, do you know what, Kieran? I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt at the start of this story, but some of those comments he made, have, have he's, he's not quite on the Steve Dale list, but he's, he's heading towards it if he carries on this way. That Never underestimate the intelligence of football fans either. That's a, a big, big mistake. Although... To be fair, now you've put the idea of an, a statue of an accountant dressed as the lead singer of Kiss in my head. <laughs> I, I might start. Let, let's start the crowdfunding. <laughs> let's start doing it. Yeah, so basically it'll be the lead singer of Kiss, but with a, an umbrella rolled under his arm, because that's, that's, <laughs> in my world, that's how you tell somebody's an accountant. Um, and, and in your world, Kieran, what, what a happy week you've had, because three three big clubs have put out their latest figures, Middlesbrough, Wolves and Leicester. Anything interesting from those? Um, I, I think it's showing that, and these figures are for 2019-20. These figures are showing that COVID really hit the the industry um, because matches took place after the year end, which mm. didn't help. Uh, Wolves lost forty million pounds. Leicester, who we think are you know, a really well run club, you know, they've they've been really smart in terms of recruitment. They sold Harry Maguire for eighty million. They sold uh, you know, Chilwell for. For forty-five, fifty, and so on. Leicester lost sixty-seven million quid. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. that's a million and a half quid a week. It's it, it's crazy stuff. Um, and, and Borough, who had a fairly uh, moderate uh, season in uh, in the Championship, they lost thirty-six million. And uh, for every hundred pounds that was coming through into the club, they were spending one hundred and sixty on wages, which is. Is just sheer lunacy yeah. in in the sport. I, I know that clubs are struggling; that, that revenues are down a wee bit, um, but they weren't hugely impacted in the championship to the same extent as the Premier League. And it does show that clubs cannot run themselves um, on an even keel um, and are reliant upon the the benevolence of their owners. And it's got to be said that I, I know that some Middlesbrough fans are quite critical of of Steve Gibson who is you know he's thoroughly de- devoted to uh, the club just as Mel Morris is mm. and Derby and places like that um without him writing out those crazy checks on a weekly basis to to cover the the wages and the other costs that they they wouldn't have a club to support mm. I, I'm interested to hear you say that about borough fans with Steve Gibson because I always had the impression that he was beyond reproach and beyond criticism almost because as you say he He's been there for so long and kept the club on an even keel. But I, I suppose familiarity breeds contempt for some people to a certain degree, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, I'm talking about a minority. But, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I monitor. Yeah, you know, I put up the results myself, as you know, on social media, and, and then um, look at the response and some of the comments coming in. And the the, the jury is is out. It's it's very much in favour of Steve Steve Gibson, but. 
uh, you know, for for every yeah for every three or four people saying, well, you know, you know thank heavens for Steve, you've still got one sniping away mm. to say you know, he lacks ambition, speculate to accumulate, um, and I'm sure these are not the people that on a Friday. Uh, when they get their weekly wages or you know, on a monthly basis, they they go and spunk the whole lot on a on a lottery card. Mm. Yeah, I know you you put these results out on social media. Did you not see my smiley face that I tweeted back in response? Uh, <laughs> and you know, on reflection, I should perhaps read these stories before I just put a smiley face on the back of everything. I could be getting into trouble. Um, another championship club, though, Kieran Barnsley, have been ordered to pay Hull almost a million pound over the transfer of Angus McDonald, and this is not a nice story, is it? This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. No, this this is uh, this this is very distressing in, in a variety of ways. Mm. Um, Barnsley sold uh, Angus McDonald in the summer of 2018 to Hull City for seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and it subsequently turned out that the Angus um, initially had some form of iron deficiency, which didn't appear to be disclosed when the deal was going through. He's subsequently had bowel cancer, which you know. Touch wood, he's he seems to be in recovery of, and he's been playing for Rotherham this yep, season. Yeah, um, but uh, the, the, the it went to some form of tribunal because Hull felt that they had not necessarily been treated uh, with uh, in terms of full disclosure, and and the conclusion by the adjudicating panel was there has been no dishonesty, but at the same time, um, Hull have suffered financially as, as a result of the the lack of full disclosure mm. and uh, Hull have been uh, sorry Barnsley have been made to to pay nine hundred and fifty eight thousand pounds to Hull as as some form of recompense now now Barnsley are saying that the people who were involved with the sale are no longer at the club and they just want to uh, you know they, they, they want to finish the matter that you know it's uh, let, let's all move on and, and by all accounts Hull want to do the same um, but it's uh, you know, we, we are dealing not with commodities 
We've, we've spoken about this in respect of Emiliano Sala before on, on a number of occasions. We're dealing with young men, and clearly he's been through a really tough time in terms of his health issues. And all I can say is you, know, you just wish him a, a, a full and long-term recovery from, from what he's been through. Well, I, I, I couldn't agree with that more, Kieran, because it, it, you know it, it's fine for Barnsley to say we want to move on, the people are no longer there. But Angus MacDonald had to sit there and listen while Hull City said, there's no way on earth we would have signed this player had we known he was in the early stages of bowel cancer, which is like, you, you don't want to hear that when he's still recovering from it. And uh, I think it's wonderful that he's playing for Rotherham this season. Um, and at least Barnsley have had the decency to say they're not going to challenge it, they will pay for it. But it's not a pleasant story. And I suspect, Kieran, it's it's one of those things that happens in football a lot more than we know about. Good news for Oxford fans, particularly, uh, Kieran, maybe. An Indonesian-led consortium in is, is in advanced talks to take over Oxford United. Yes. Um, uh, Oxford United are currently, uh, they currently have a tie owner. And um, I, I won't disgrace myself by trying to say his name. I think it involves the word tiger at some point. That's his nickname. So we um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep to that. Um, the club has been losing around about £80,000 a week pre-COVID. So it's, you know, like many lower league clubs, it has been dependent upon the benevolence of, of the owner. Um, but there's there's now a potential uh, in, uh, Indonesian consortium, which is linked to a guy called Eric Tahir. Now, he's the former owner of Inter Milan. He's uh, He's been involved with the International Olympic Committee. He's also in the MLS, owned DC United. So he knows his way around football. Um, so my initial reaction, it seems, well, yeah, it's a slightly unusual club, given, given the, the, the stature of the clubs he's previously in contact with. Um, but it looks as if he's going to buy 51%. Um, the, the intention of the club is to make itself, and I quote, a top 30 club, i.e. it wants to uh, progress from the uh, from League One uh, and try to establish itself in the in the championship with the benefits that that arises uh, in terms of you never two if you're a top 30 club, you're never that far away from the playoffs. Mm. Um, lots of other people are supposedly connected with the with the champion, with the with the bid um, involving you know, investors from South Africa and Vietnam, so it's a it's a truly uh, global uh, consortium that's being put together. Um, and you know, I I I'm old enough, and I suspect you are as well, to remember Oxford United being in the top flight, and yeah. you know John Aldridge and uh, Dean Saunders and so on. That, that, and was it Ray Houghton was there as well? Ray Houghton, yeah, scored. Yeah, yeah, and they were an absolutely yeah. cracking club to watch uh, for a, you know for that period of time. Um, so, you know, from their point of view, you wish them all the best and, and hope that these owners have got the, the best of intentions for them to, to develop the club. You know, there's always two things. Whenever Oxford United is mentioned, Kieran, two things go through my head. First of all, Oxford is a wonderful city. I love Oxford. What a beautiful city, but it's a leery away game. Going oh, yeah. Oxford away is surprisingly leery for uh, a place that only 10 miles away is full of Japanese tourists in Hogwarts scarves. Um, <laughs> but also, when you think about Oxford, you know, we, we're, we're asked probably once every three months, somebody will ask us on the pod, on our questions pod on, on Mondays, to um, yeah, predict a club or, or, or look at a club that's got potential, a lower league club. And to me, it always strikes me that Oxford United should be a club with great potential. It's not that far from London. You've got a, a very sort of wealthy potential fan base on its doorstep. And it, it should be a club that can establish itself in the championship at the very least, shouldn't it, you'd think? 
Yes, it's it's it, the, the potential is there. Um, sometimes you need a little bit of a kickstart to 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 move into the division in the first place. Mm. Um, but then they, they you know they, they they could certainly generate big crowds. And uh, I, I I agree with you um, entirely with regards to uh, the uh, the away fan experience, mm. having been uh, chased uh, <laughs> once or twice around uh, when. But um, yeah, my my experience. I, I've been to. Oxford, yeah, I've been around the university and, and done bits and pieces. Um, that there's there's not a lot of love between the the university stroke yeah, student and population the, and, the, yeah. and and the and the people from the town or the city itself. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, this this is connected with uh, historic. I wouldn't say they're necessarily uh, uh, taking place in, in the modern environment. Um, hostility towards anybody um, uh, from who, who's not from the locality. Yeah, I was. Um... <laughs> A friend of mine, years and years ago, I went there. When I was, yeah, I went there with a throbbing chip on my shoulder. To be perfectly honest, in my early time, but I, I, I quite liked that idea of that. There was, yeah, there were town pubs and there were gown pubs, and it's like, well, I'll go to the town pub. Thank you very much, because that's going to be much more exciting. Um, now, Kieran, this story can be read two ways. If I read it like this, a company with close links to Ian Rush is buying the grounds of grassroots clubs. It sounds a bit sinister. If I read it like this. A company with close links to Ian Rush is buying the grounds of grassroots clubs. That sounds great. Which which is it? Because when I first read this story, I've, it, I, I veered towards sinister rather than great. I have to say. Yeah, this, this is a this is a little bit intriguing. This involves a company called Irama Sport, to which uh, Ian Rush has links, and they have already bought the stadium of Whiteleaf FC in Surrey, oh, right, just uh, Abingdon road, yeah. Town in Oxford, and uh, Brickhouse Town. I think the deal has gone through, which is, of course, in Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, and in- immediately following one of these, uh, Whiteleaf FC appeared to terminate the lease. And you know, whilst football is not taking place at th- that particular tier of football mm. at present, it does mean where on earth are they going to play in the future? Yeah. Um, and th- there seems to be bits and pieces of confusion, especially in relation to, to Whiteleaf. Um, their their owner what is a guy called Mark Coote. Um, he's involved in a company which is involved in 3G pitches. Um, and nobody's quite sure uh, what the, the, the ultimate motives are Firstly, of Irama Sport, who are saying, as a result of this, we'll be in a position to help people in the local towns and villages with the provision of um, grassroots activities. Ian Rush has said, "I've I've come from nothing. Um, you know, that's my background. I'm really, you know, I'm really enthusiastic about the ability to to provide, especially if it is a three G pitch. You know, you can have." people playing there every evening mm. uh, at, at, at a cheap cost for kids and things of that nature. So all of that does sound positive. Um, what Irama Sports' ulterior motives are, if there are any, and, and yeah, we, we, we can't say that with any degree of certainty, is uncertain. But they've also written to a number of parish councils um, saying things along the lines of, uh, we're, we're looking to buy football grounds. Mm. Um and yeah, we're operating in a COVID environment. Um, the clubs that we've mentioned have been through some challenging financial periods uh, recently, and, and that's made it. Uh, yeah, that's it's not forced them to sell the ground, but it, it certainly uh, has has been a, has been a factor, I suspect. Mm. So um, 
we, we, I'd like to get more information on this um, just to find out exactly what's been going on. I think Whiteleaf FC's uh, their their manager, who was previously the uh, the Croydon FC manager. Um, I, I think he's now resigned. He's moved on. We're not quite sure what's happening there. So just a feeling of unease uh, would be my overall uh, conclusion. Yeah, and one hopes that their motives are are pure and that they want to bring football to locals. But Whiteleaf is not far beyond Croydon. It's a really nice semi-rural area and I suspect there'd be far more people in there interested in going to a new Waitrose than they would in playing football on a 3G pitch. But we'll keep an eye on that one because it's when you, when you see them buying up so many or checking the availability of so many, it does get the hackles rising a little bit. Rangers have raised more money from shareholders. Yes. Um, so so this came through from Companies House. They they issued a large number of shares, which, which appears to have brought in an extra £3 million. Now, it's not entirely clear whether this is fresh cash or converting loans into shares. Um, Rangers are losing money on a on a day day to day basis. Although I think they will be in a position this summer, should they so desire to to cover a lot of those losses. Their their business model has been first of all to be able to challenge Celtic on the pitch, and, and therefore they've tried to hold on to players. Um, once they've reached that position of of parity. Um, on the pitch, uh, and clearly they they are the deserved champions this season. Um, you know, will they now be selling the likes of Morelos or or, or, or some of the other players, um, and therefore moving towards more of a player development model in order to to make ends meet? Um, but you know, over the last quite a few years since they they had their problems and they've had to move through the divisions, it's very much been playing paying a lot more for players and paying much higher wages. Um, than than their revenues, um, and as a consequence, they have been losing money. Um, my, my my slight concern here is where does this leave the fan base? Because um, Dave King, who was the 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 previous chief of of the club, um, he had agreed to sell his shares to a fans group called Club Eighteen Seventy Two. Mm. Now, this was going to cost Club Eighteen Seventy Two. An awful lot of money. They've been doing their best to raise funds, but yeah, we, we are talking millions upon millions of pounds here. Um, and if Rangers are issuing fresh shares, what what Club eighteen seventy two's strategy was was to own twenty five percent of the club. And by owning twenty five percent of the club, that allows you to veto certain things. And I think Dave King was keen on this, and Club eighteen seventy two. Every time you issue fresh shares, it means that Club eighteen seventy two would have to go and buy more shares mm. in order to keep up their twenty five percent investment, which as yet that they haven't achieved because they are in the fundraising stage. So it is going to make it uh, you know, what is already a challenging feat for them. It's going to make it more complex. And if Rangers keep on issuing shares every time that that happens, then Club 1872 will have to raise more cash if they want to keep their, their 25% investment, which given that they are a you know, a fan organisation and they get nothing back from this because Rangers don't pay out dividends, just like the vast majority of clubs, um, is, uh, is going to be tough. What are the certain things that Club 1872 could veto with 25%? 
Um, it's it's mainly to do with changes in the club constitution, right. um, the sale of the stadium or things of that nature, um, and, and therefore it, it allows the fans to um, keep an eye and, and be be fully informed because they defend, mm. they, they should be able to appoint a director and if there are issues similar to those experienced by Rangers, which which led to the troubles at the club yeah. uh, in in respect of employee benefit trusts uh, in the last decade, um, at least they will be able to to scrutinise them and you know potentially uh, put some form of veto on on things of that nature. So it would be lovely, wouldn't it, Kieran, if every club had at least twenty five percent fan ownership, so they could do that sort of thing? Um, I've been yes. I've been looking forward to this, Kieran, because this, as far as I'm concerned, this is the perfect final sto- story. I can I can say on a lighter note, with a glad heart, on this one, because Kieran, on a lighter note, there's been some good news for Boiler fans in the West Midlands. Yes, uh, the fantastic news is that uh, West Bromwich Albion have um, extended their relationship, their sponsorship deal with uh, the with Boilerman, who is the club mascot, who uh, was initially a figure of great ridicule, but has now become a bit of a cult hero. Uh-huh. Um, so there's uh, it's now gone to a company called Ideal Heating because they they want to broaden the range of products that they sell and not just be associated with boilers. Um, West Brom have had a bit of a checkered history in terms of their sponsors. They they were sponsored by Zoopla, who uh, cancelled the sponsorship arrangement about probably about six or seven years ago now, um, as a result of Nicholas Anelka's probably ill advised support for one of the Charlie Hebdo um, yeah. comedians or whatever you want to call it. I think yeah. that's an insult to people in your industry, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, yeah, they, they've had to use uh, gambling companies and things of that nature since, but it, it's actually quite nice. And it, to have a, a sort of a, a local company who, uh, well, not that local, but a, a company which is involved in an industry which you, you can't really get too upset about. Yeah, you know, we, we've we've seen with the the activities of Football Index, we've certainly seen concerns, and we've spoken to yeah. people who have reservations about football's very close links with the, the gambling industry. Um, and you know, you, yeah, this this is this is about heating your home. So yeah, no grumbles there. Yeah, we all we all need boilers, Kieran. What what I will say is that I've met several uh, mascots. Uh, they take their job very seriously, and rightly so, because they represent their club. But at least there's an element of pride clambering into a giant latex eagle on a Saturday afternoon, isn't it, really? I'm, I'm, I'm sure when they all come to meet up at the end of the season, they, they can tell who Boilerman is because he's the one who's slouching in. But good luck to him. It might be a woman inside Boilerman. That's a terrible assumption to make, isn't it, in this, in this day and age? Exactly. Yes, thank you, Kieran. I'll take your implied telling off. Uh, to heart. <laughs> uh, now, don't forget, if you'd like to support the price of football, you can do by visiting supporter.acast.com forward slash price of football, or just click the link if you're listening in the Acast app. A big thank you to everyone who has supported us so far, including Akshat Kumar, Rob NUFC, Ruthin Roy. Roy, how many names are you using these days? Like Kieran's family, seriously. <laughs> um, uh, Pete D, Grace. Uh, John M54 hashtag CAFC and uh, Sisyphus was a Charlton fan, uh, which is my favourite name for quite some time. <laughs> Very good classical reference that made me chuckle. Um, don't forget if you want to ask us questions for our Monday pod, uh, which is 
about any aspect of football finance in any corner of the world. It's questions at priceoffootball.com. And before he schleps off to Barcelona for his, what sounds like a very important virtual visit, I shall invite Kieran to say goodbye. Uh, well, yes. Well, thanks again, folks, for all the feedback. Um, if you could press the follow button on Apple and leave us a five-star review, that's apparently the, the big issue as far as producer Guy is concerned. Um, and also just a reminder that we are uh, honoured to have Neil Doncaster mm. on the show in, in a couple of weeks. And uh, Neil has uh, has agreed to to answer questions. So if you want to direct the questions at us, uh, it will be questions at priceoffootball.com. And if you can put Scotland in the header, we'll know these are for Neil. Um, yeah, we, we, we've got a good relationship with Neil, but mainly because we think he's a good guy. We do. Um, so, yeah, just just uh, just be polite. I've seen some uh, some hostile comments uh, on social media, which which aren't warranted. Um, and uh, you know, and it's not going to be a discussion on Celtic and Rangers. By the way, it's it's looking at the broader issues of Scottish football. Yes, well said. And uh, Neil has made it quite clear he will answer any difficult questions we put to him as long as they are put to him politely and respectfully. Uh, and of course, anything else we simply won't put to him. So, come on, people, you're better than that. We know you, um, and we'll see you soon. Bye bye. I'm for the